Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're back in this wonderful letter from the Apostle Paul this morning. You know, by God's design, the family unit is the most basic building block of human life in society. And God not only designed the concept of the family, but he designed exactly what members should be a part of the family and even the roles that each of those members is to play. Since the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2, God has had one standard and design for the family. It is to consist of one man and one woman committed together in the covenant of marriage that is only to be broken by death. And then as God blesses their union with children, they then enter into that family and become a family unit. But it's no secret that God's design for the family is under attack across the world and especially here at home in the United States. Hollywood, for example, has attempted to undermine and question God's design for the family for many years, but in recent years, there seems to be nothing less than an organized attempt to not only undermine God's design for the family, but completely redefine it. Disney, for example, is now openly pushing the LGBTQ agenda in, in shows for designed for children and teens. It seems now that, that almost no story can be written and shown on television that doesn't include something related to a storyline for this movement. Even the classic stories that we've enjoyed for years are now being rewritten to include these storylines or just canceled altogether. The message from our culture regarding the family is that the biblical idea of a nuclear family is outdated and even oppressive to those who disagree. But Christians, we have to remember that the world system in which we live is dominated and controlled by Satan himself. Remember what Paul said to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. What is Paul saying? He's saying that Satan has set up residence literally in the world system, or for, in another word, in the culture. Satan uses the popular ideas of culture across the world to spread his ideologies, which are anti-God, and intended to tear down what God has designed. Therefore, we have to remember that the culture should never define for us what morality is or what truth is. As Christians, we have one standard of truth and morality, and we find it on the pages of Scripture. It is sufficient. It's sufficient to give us the wisdom and the direction that we need on any situation in life, including the family. And here's the real truth of the matter. God's design for the family, including the roles that he's designed for each family member to play, are actually intended for our good. They are not oppressive. They are, in fact, intended to promote human flourishing. Even for unbelievers, what God has designed in, in marriage is used for the flourishing in his common grace of, of families that follow those things. God has an intended design, and it has an intended purpose. Today, as we continue our verse-by-verse -verse study of the 
letter to the Colossians, we dive into a multi-week series on the Christian family. It's my desire that as we look at God's instruction for the family over the next several weeks, that, that our, our view of God's wisdom and goodness in designing the family this way will be exalted and extended, that we will see anew the goodness of God and what he's intended the family to be. And may it cause us to be resolute in our commitment to a biblical understanding of the family, even when the culture around us pushes that aside and pressures us to do the same, or even when our own flesh may tempt us to seek another path for family life. Now, last week we concluded a, a long section in ver- from verse 1 to 17 that dealt with the fundamentals of the Christian life, Christian living. What does it mean to be a Christian? We looked at that for several weeks. And last week we saw in verse 17 that the Christian is to do everything for the glory of God. Paul said that every word we speak and every deed that we commit is to be done in the name of the Lord. And we studied that phrase last time and, and came to understand that that means everything we do and say is to be done in submission to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. Now in verse 18, Paul begins a new section. It's from verse 18 in chapter 3 all the way through verse 1 of chapter 4, dealing with the Christian home. Let's read together, beginning in Colossians 3 verse 18 through chapter 4 verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Here is the outline, if you see on the screen, of of these verses as as Paul moves from different relationship uh, to different relationship in the, the home. We have instructions to wives in verse 18, husbands in 19, children in 20, parents in 21, and then servants and masters beginning in verse 22 through verse 1 of chapter 4. Now, culturally at this time, you have to understand that it was common to have servants living in the home with you as part of the family structure. And that's why every list in the New Testament that deals specifically with the family goes by these uh, family definitions. Husbands and wives, children and parents, slaves and masters. We'll deal with that cultural setting more when we get to those verses, but... Right now, I just want you to notice a couple of overarching observations about the list as a whole. There's some things we can glean just from the way that, that, that God has ordered this list. The first observation is that marriage, it is a relationship that is primary. The marriage relationship is primary. In these verses, in fact, in every place in the New Testament where we find this list, he starts with the relationship between the husband 
and the wife. It's because this list is intentionally arranged by priority. The, the, the marriage relationship is to be the primary human relationship in the home. But unfortunately, in our culture today, it's, it's very common for the parent-child relationship to take priority over the marriage relationship. It's very common in our day and age for children to rule the home and for the parents' focus to be more on their children than it is on their own marriage. I think that's likely the reason why many older couples divorce in their empty nester stage of life. It's because they've spent the entirety of their marriage focusing on their children rather than their marriage. Think about it this way. When you get married, not all, but most couples end up having children somewhere between one and five years after being married. That means that for the next 18 years at a minimum, if you only have one child, that you will have a child living in the home. If you have multiples, of course, it can be much longer than that. So think about it this way. A person's been married one to five years, and then for the next 18 to 25 years, they spend the entirety of their focus on their kids, and then they wonder why when their parent, kids leave, they look at each other and say, who are you? It's because that's not God's design. It's actually not healthy for the marriage or for your kids, for the kids to be the center of the home. It's healthy for them to see mom and dad prioritize their own relationship first and then the relationship with their kids. There's a second observation here. That is that order in the home is good, God's good design. Order in the home is God's good design. Notice that this list shows not only the order of priority, but also the authority structure that God's intended for each of those relationships. He begins with the relationship of husbands and wives. He talks first to the wife who is to be under his authority and then to the husband who's been delegated that authority. And he continues that pattern throughout the rest of the list. Children, then parents, servants, then masters. And so far from being oppressive or, or harsh... God has given a divine order of, of authority for the home that's meant for our good. Now, of course, in, in our sinfulness, sinful men can abuse those authority structures. Absolutely, that happens. But that does not negate the fact that God intends this design for the family to be a blessing and to be good and right. Now, with those overarching principles in mind, we're going to spend the rest of our time focusing this morning on verse 18 and God's instruction specifically to wives. Now understand, ladies, I'm not picking on you. This, is, this comes with the territory and expository preaching. We're just going to the next verse, okay? This is the next verse. Bring your husbands back next week and um, they will have plenty to hear from the Lord as well. But here this morning, notice what what God has to say to Christian wives in verse 18, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The theme this morning is very simple. Wives must willingly submit to their husbands in submission to Christ. Wives must willingly submit to their husbands in submission to Christ. And really this verse breaks down into two simple parts. First, Paul's going to give a clear command and then he's going to give us the motivation for that command, which is so helpful. He doesn't just give a, a bare command that could seem harsh and overbearing, but he comes and tells us why. And it's my prayer that we will see how precious these truths are after we study them this morning. Let's begin where Paul does with the command. 
Here's the command. He says, submit willingly to your husbands. In verse 18, it begins, wives, be subject. The verb there is, means exactly what it says. It's to subject oneself, be subjected or subordinated. And one popular lexicon says this, it's used of submission involving recognition of an ordered structure. In this case, the structure of the home. Now, the meaning of this word is, is very, very clear. The truth of the matter is there's, there's no way to wiggle out from under what Paul says here. This is what he says. It's very clear. There is no textual way to argue our way around verse 18. Those who would seek to do so, to discredit this verse or say that it's been removed, have to resort to some kind of a cultural argument, but not a textual argument. You know, as with any other question we have as Christians, we have to come back and say, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? That's what matters. Not what do I feel, not what do do those around me say, not what can my own finite mind come up with, but what does the Bible say? And this is what the Bible clearly says for Christian wives. Wives, be subject to your husbands. But the grammar here is actually really helpful. So if you didn't pay attention to grammar in school, that's okay. I'm not going to give you a full grammar lesson, but I do want to show you that grammar matters when it comes to the scriptures. Because this verb, be subject, stay with me now, is a present tense imperative in the middle voice. I'm going to explain that. It's a present tense, which we've said before, means it's to be an ongoing action. Paul is not saying submit to your husband's once. He's saying as the pattern of life in your home, the wife is to submit herself to her husband as an ongoing action. It's also an imperative, meaning it's a command. So it's, it's given to us by Paul without any wiggle room. It's not a suggestion. It's this is the way of life in the Christian home. But it's also in the middle voice, which is the most important thing I want you to see because it helps us understand the tone of what Paul is saying. That reminds you what the middle voice is used for in the Greek language. Remember, we have the active voice, Tommy hit the ball. We have the passive voice, Tommy was hit by the ball. And then we have the middle voice of Tommy hit himself with the ball. Why did Tommy do that? We don't know, but, but that's, the, that's the middle voice. It, it emphasizes that the verb is done to, the, the subject does it to him or herself. Okay, so here's the idea of what Paul is saying. Wives, you are to continually submit yourselves to your husband. Meaning submission is to be a humble, willful choice of the wife. Listen to me, men. Nowhere in your Bible, nowhere does it ever command husbands to subjugate their wives. Nowhere. Nowhere does it tell us to make sure, to see to it, that our wives submit. It doesn't say that. The command is given solely to wives. Wives, you make the humble, willful choice to submit yourself underneath the leadership of your husband. Understand, men, it is an abuse of our God-given authority to seek to physically control our wives or manipulate them into submission. That's not our role. Rather, allow God to do his work in the wife, in your heart's in the heart of your wife. It's for her to humbly submit herself. Wives, the responsibility and the privilege of submitting to your husband 
lies with you. And yes, I said privilege, and I'll explain why in a moment. You are to willingly, actively, and humbly submit yourself to the authority of your husband. And, and there's a second implication here. Not only is it to be done you doing it to yourself, but it implies equality in personhood. The reason that you need to submit yourself willingly is because as far as being persons in the eyes of God, you are equal image bearers in the eyes of God. This is not God saying that men are, are, are over women in the sense that, that he sees them in their personhood as above women. No, remember in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, God said, let us make man, that is mankind, in our own image, according to our likeness, and let them, them, plural, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, an image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. What is he saying? Both men and women are made in the image of God. Remember, that was the whole point when when God brings Adam uh, a wife, he has, he has first, Adam, name all the animals. You ever notice that? He says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And Adam then names all the animals. What's that about? He's showing Adam that there's no one on the planet at that time that's an equal image bearer like he is. And so God says, I'll fix it. I will make a helper that's an equal image bearer of God that is like Adam, that's corresponding to him. And so this is not a matter of, of a difference in personhood between men and women. In the same vein, Paul says that we're equally justified by faith in Christ. Galatians 3, beginning of verse 24, says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you, who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Here is the, the takeaway. Biblical submission is not degrading. It's not degrading. It's not saying that there's something inherently better about being a man than a woman. Instead, he's saying, this is the order that I have designed for the home, and it's what honors me. Men, the fact that your wife is an equal image bearer of God and that she is equally redeemed by faith in Christ should change the way, it should inform the way that you exercise your authority. Because biblical submission does not mean that the wife is a doormat or a slave to her husband's wishes. It doesn't mean that the wife does all the work while the husband sits on the couch and shakes his glass when it's almost empty. It doesn't mean that, that she can't respectfully disagree or ask for further consideration of a decision before it's made. And we'll discuss this next week, but godly leadership, men, actually includes soliciting your wife's opinion and seriously considering her desires and her needs. It's true that the final decision, biblically, is delegated to the husband. It's his role and his responsibility for which he's accountable before God to make the final decision. But the process is not to be heavy-handed or dictatorial. The husband's leadership is to accurately represent the fact that he's leading one 
who's an equal image bearer of God and saved by the same grace that he is saved and a member of the same spiritual family. Now notice also that Paul is very specific to say who it is that the wife is to submit herself to. Verse 18, wives be subject to your husbands. To your husbands. Paul is not commanding here that every woman is to submit to every man. He's speaking very pointedly and exclusively to the marriage relationship. Again, he's not advocating male superiority on the grand scale, as if every man is above every woman, but instead that in the home, in the family structure, this is how God has designed it to be. Now, as you know, this concept is hated by our culture at large, and there are many even within evangelicalism who would seek to undermine what Paul says here. But understand that the Christians who reject this idea do so with an argument that sounds something like this. They say, well, Paul was a product of his culture, which was a male-dominated society, and we're no longer in a culture that's a male-dominated society, and so therefore, this teaching no longer applies. We just kind of skip over it as a cultural anomaly. Now, in fairness, there are some teachings in the Bible that were very specifically written to a specific group of people at a specific group of time that no longer apply in, it, in their specifics, such as the Old Testament law, for example, because we have in the New Testament new revelation saying that we no longer have to obey the law. But understand, even in those instances, there are principles that can be gleaned from the law that though we don't obey the specifics of the law, we learn from those principles about the character of God, the desires of God, and we apply those to our lives. But understand this. Here's the key. Anytime that there is a passage in Scripture that God does not intend for us to take uh, literally in its specifics, there will be a biblical contextual reason to know that. Either in the immediate context or in the larger biblical context, there will be an indication that we do not have to obey that command. We don't have that here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. In fact, we have something more. We have two very clear reasons why this command still stands for today. The first reason is it's the consistent teaching of Scripture across the board, not just here, in Colossians 3.18, but every time the New Testament talks about the husband-wife relationship and gives specifics, it mentions this concept. Take, for example, Ephesians chapter 5, which is probably the more famous passage. Ephesians 5.22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Peter, the apostle Peter, also confirms the same idea, but even goes one step further, because he says, even when your husband's an unbeliever, that this should be true. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, says, In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word, by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. There, Peter's saying that your, your willful submission, your humble submission, actually can be a testimony of the gospel to your husband. And then finally, in Titus chapter 
Two, we see that this is the responsibility of older ladies in the church to pass down and teach to younger women in the church. Titus 2, verse 3, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Now, as a side note, if we take all of those passages and put them together, ladies, we really get a summary of what the New Testament teaches that your role is towards your husband. And it comes down to three primary words. Submission, love, and respect. Submission, love, and respect. Those are the things that are commanded primarily in the New Testament of the wife towards her husband. But here's what's interesting. The only quality that's on every single one of those lists, that makes it on every list, is submission. Isn't that interesting? We see love in Titus 2. We, we see respect at the end of Ephesians 5 there. But in every list, we see the quality of submission. Now, if this is categorically no longer applicable to us because of our culture, then really what that means is we have to throw out all of the teaching in the New Testament for wives because all of them include this instruction. What's also interesting is while some would argue that culturally we should throw out verse 18 of Colossians 3, no one says we should throw out verse 19 which says, Husbands, love your wives. We want to hold that one. Let's throw out 18. The truth is, just being honest, there's no legitimate way to deny the clear teaching of the Scripture here. And because our God is good, ladies, listen, because our God is good, that means this instruction is good and meant for your good. He's not a harsh God. He's good and he's loving. So let's try to understand his heart. What is the heart of God in giving this command to wives? Let's look at a second reason why we know that this truth still applies, and it leads us ultimately to the second half of the verse. But the second reason that we know that this still applies is because the command has a timeless motivation. It has a timeless motivation. And the motivation here is the second part of the verse, the honor of Christ. The motivation is the honor of Christ. Look back at verse 18, Colossians 3.18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. As is fitting in the Lord. You see, those who would rip this passage out of their Bibles have to deal with the fact that, that Paul says, my motivation for telling you this is not the culture. Paul does not say, wives, submit to your husbands as is acceptable in our culture. That's not what he says. He says, as is fitting in the Lord. Now, what exactly does Paul mean when he says that this command is fitting in the Lord? Essentially, it means that it's pleasing to God. It's, it's fitting with God's design. And therefore, it is appropriate and right for a wife who claims to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ to obey this command because in doing so, she is loving and submitting to her Savior. Now, this is the most helpful truth, I think for you ladies in seeking to live this out, is understanding what Paul is really saying here. Because if you struggle with this concept, which is understandable if you struggle with this, we're all humans, we all struggle with submission, 
in general, this will really help you to nail down this idea of it being fitting to the Lord because Paul says that your submission to your husband is to be motivated by your love and submission to Jesus Christ. Write that down. Your submission to your husband is to be motivated by your love and submission to Jesus Christ. Understanding this is crucial. You see, the world and even some Christians will tell you that that, that marriage is to be a give and take. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You fill up my love tank, I'll fill up your love tank. But here's the problem with that. It's not biblical. It's not what the Bible says. That actually advocates a self-centered, selfish approach to marriage that says, until I get what I think I need from you, I'm not giving you what you think you need. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible, in fact, instructs both husbands and wives to carry out their God-given role not out of selfishness and not even out of love and devotion to their spouse, but to Christ. To Christ. Paul reiterates that in Ephesians 5, like we read earlier. Notice he says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. That's another way of saying as is fitting in the Lord, as he said in Colossians 3.18. Your submission to your husband is, is an act of obedience and love to Jesus Christ. And see, when we try to find motivation to fulfill our role, either as a husband or a wife, in our spouse, we're doomed to fail. Because here's the reality, in case you haven't noticed, you're a sinner married to a sinner. You're a sinner married to a sinner. Ladies, you won't find a man on the planet other than the Lord Jesus Christ who will re- lead you and love you perfectly. Even the godliest of men will fail in their attempt to perfectly imitate Christ. And men, you will never find a woman on the face of the planet who will perfectly submit to your leadership with joy and humility. If you don't know this, the Proverbs 31 woman is actually not a real person. It's an illustration. It's the ideal, right? But there is no wife on the face of the planet that actually fully meets that ideal. Though mine comes really close. The best that any of us can hope to be is a continually growing copy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our desire. And so if I see, or if my wife rather, sees her submission to my authority as something that's based upon how well I lead, it's going to be a struggle. And if I see my commitment to love her sacrificially and to lead her based upon how well she submits on a given day, it's going to be a struggle. But there is hope for us in our marriages. And here is the hope. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Ladies, there is one who will never neglect or abuse his authority, whose words are always true, and who will never love you with anything less than perfect sacrificial love. And his name is Jesus Christ. And it is he who says to you now, out of your love for me, I want you to submit to your husband. Wow. That begins to flip things around. 
doing these things for one another in marriage, though, though we hopefully do actually love one another and we do want to serve each other. And there are things in my wife that motivate me to want to love and lead her and hopefully vice versa. But ultimately, the motivation that's static, that's at the foundation, has to be love and devotion to Christ first and foremost. That's the only way that a husband or wife can faithfully fulfill the role that God's given them on a regular daily basis. Ladies, for example, when your husband's in a bad mood or irritable or selfish or unreasonable, you know, if you haven't experienced that, I'm sure you've heard of someone that has. The key here, Paul says, is to take your eyes off of him and put them on Christ. Take your eyes off him, put them on the Lord Jesus Christ. Recall to mind the perfect selfless love of Christ displayed to you on the cross and then choose out of your love for him to, to lovingly, humbly submit to your husband. Begin to pray for your husband quietly in your heart. Begin to thank God even for everything you can think about that's praiseworthy in your husband and you'll begin to live out what it is that Christ has given to you. There's another implication here with this phrase though as is fitting to the Lord, and it's this. The husband's authority is limited by Christ's authority. It's limited by Christ's authority. Again, Paul says a similar thing in Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's the idea. The idea is both the husband and the wife sit together underneath his authority, and therefore his authority is supreme over both. Practically, what that means then is that, ladies, if your husband ever commands you to do something or ask you to do something that you know the Scripture forbids, you obey Christ rather than your husband. Or if the husband seeks to get you to stop doing something that you know the Scriptures command, and you obey the Lord rather than your husband. In addition to that, it means that it's not a betrayal of your role to lovingly and humbly come alongside your husband to point out areas of sin that need to grow, even to the point of, in extreme cases, bringing that to the attention of of the elders in cases of church discipline, a la Matthew 18. Some wives get mixed up on this, and they think, well, it's a betrayal of my Submission to my husband to bring his sin to light to the elders. Listen, both of you, all of us, sit underneath the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you, that's given to you as a protection in the case where a husband has gone off the rails and they are, they are abusing their authority in a way that is unbiblical. Church discipline is there as a help for you. So while the husband's authority does extend to every situation in life, it never supersedes the ultimate authority of Christ. Now, we could just leave it there and sing a closing song and go home, but I want you to see something else. I want you to understand why. Everyone's different, but some people really want to know why. Why would God command me to do this? Why is it fitting? Why why, why does he see this as good? Why is it a privilege, as I said earlier? Well, I want to mention two privileges of submitting to your husband. Privilege number one, submission displays the character of Christ. Submission displays the character of Christ. Most often when we talk about the biblical roles, we talk about the husband playing the role of Christ, and that is true. We'll talk about that next week. In in the illustration in Ephesians 5, it's the husband who is to play the role of Christ in that illustration. But we sometimes miss the fact 
that the wife's role of submission actually also uniquely displays Christ. Jesus testified that during his earthly ministry, he lived in complete submission to the will of the Father. He says it over and over again. John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus says, Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John chapter 6, verse 37 to 40, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he's given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. But perhaps the greatest example comes in Matthew chapter 26, in the garden on that night, just before his arrest, beginning in verse 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, began to be grieved and distressed, and he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My, my father, if, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then again in verse 42, he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father... If this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Your will be done. See, Jesus was so committed in his earthly ministry to submitting everything he did to the will of the Father that he even went to the cross, and he did it with joy. How in the world can we say that a wife's submission to her husband is degrading when the perfect son of God, the crown jewel of heaven, the one who is the eternal one, perfectly equal and coexistent in essence, one in essence with the father. How can we say that if he submitted himself to the father that suddenly all of a sudden submission is inherently degrading? Ladies, don't let the world draft this narrative for you. When you submit yourself willingly as an equal image bearer of God to your husband, you display Christ. This is what Christ did. And he did it perfectly, day in and day out. And here's the truth. The more our culture rejects this idea, the more brightly you shine for the gospel when you do it. The more they scratch their head the more your lost family members start to pull you inside and say, why did you do that? Why did you act that way? The more your neighbors take note, and you then have an opportunity to say, oh, let me tell you, it wasn't because of me. It's because of what my Savior has done in me. You see, it's actually a privilege to get to follow the character of our Savior in this way. And secondly, finally, there's another privilege here. Privilege number two, submission displays the church's relationship with Christ. Submission displays the church's relationship with Christ. Ephesians 5, we read it earlier, 22 to 24. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For, here's the reason, 
The husband's the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. You see, in this wonderful passage, the apostle Paul steps back and says, I want to let you in on a little secret. Your marriage is not just about your personal happiness. But instead, God has intended for Christian marriage to display the relationship that Jesus Christ has with his church. And the wife gets to come and play the role that the church is supposed to play of loving, humble submission to her Savior. You do that as you submit yourself willingly to your husband. What's so cool about this is that as the husband fulfills his role, hopefully loving, lovingly leading his wife sacrificially, and as the wife humbly submits herself to the husband, that marriage then becomes just this overflow of the gospel. As people come into their home, they, they, they see a difference. They see the effect of the gospel that then opens opportunities to voice the gospel to them. This is why it's a privilege. But perhaps you're sitting here and you say, I still don't get it. I just don't see how it can be good to say that a wife should submit to her husband. Could I humbly suggest that perhaps, if you still don't see it, that maybe you've still yet to grasp how great the gospel is. Because you see, until we see how great the gospel is, until we really understand what Christ has done for us on the cross in humbling himself to the point of death, we can't really get it. And so I would encourage you to understand first and foremost that you are a sinner, that you've sinned against a holy God, just as the rest of us have. And that sin, the Bible says, makes you guilty in the eyes of God and worthy of his eternal wrath, the Bible calls hell. Total separation from God underneath his wrath forever. The Bible says God is also good and gracious and kind. And he has provided a way for us in the person of his son. And Jesus Christ came, as we read earlier, to perfectly fulfill the will of the Father in living a perfect life that we should have lived and dying as a sacrifice willingly on the cross and rising again on the third day to prove all that he said was true and that God had accepted his sacrifice. And the Bible says if you will humble yourself today, repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Jesus Christ alone as your only hope of salvation, that you will be saved, that you will be adopted into his family and know the grace that we've been talking about all day. And only then, only when that reality has, has happened to you, can you as a wife really understand how submission to your husband could be good and I pray this morning, if you've not come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you, even now in your heart of hearts, would bow your knee to the Lord, turn to him in faith and repentance, and you will find him eager to save. But as we close our time, I just want to point you to a couple of points of application to take home, to be dwelling on. I want to talk to the wives first and then to husbands. Wives, first of all, I would encourage you to test your thinking against the Scripture. Test your thinking against the scripture. Have you given into an unbiblical view of God's design for the marriage relationship? Has the culture begun to seep in? Or has your own pride in your flesh begin to rise up against this idea? 
I encourage you to throw off the influence of the world, which again is dominated by Satan himself, and submit willfully to the truths of Scripture and experience the blessing and the fruit of what God has designed there. But secondly, not only your thoughts, but I would encourage you to test your actions against the Scripture. Maybe you came to church today and, and you already would have said, oh yeah, I get it, I, I believe that, I believe that I should be submitting to my husband. To that I would say amen. But then ask the question, how well does your life match your understanding and your profession? If we were to ask your husband or your children, if they would say that you were characterized, not perfect, but characterized on the whole by a, a willful, humble submission to your husband, what would they say? Or think of it this way. Is the way you submit to your husband giving an accurate picture to the world of how the church should be in submission to Christ. It helps us sort of nail it down in our own lives. And ladies, if you realize that there are areas of growth, and there will be, none of us perfectly fulfill these things that God's called us to. But if you, if you nail down specific areas where you know that you really have not been honoring the Lord in this, and my encouragement to you would be first to repent to the Lord, and then repent to your husband. As hard as that is to do, if you will do that and humble yourself in that way, it will be a great step in the right direction to begin to live this out in your own life. Now, husbands, let me speak to you for a moment. I know you're saying, wait a minute, you said we were next week. But I got something for you today, too. First of all, I want to encourage you to pray selflessly for your wives. Emphasis on the word selflessly. I'm not encouraging you to pray for your wives to be better at submission for your own benefit, so that it'll make your life easier, so they'll more quickly do what you want. But, but instead, I, I want to ask you a question. How do you do at submitting to the authorities in your life? How do you do at work? How do you do with our current political situation when things come down the, the pipe or you see it on TV and it's, it's not the way you would do it? How do you do when your authorities in life do something you disagree with, or they make rash decisions without counsel? Or how about when they're harsh or unreasonable in their leadership? How do you do when they refuse to listen to your suggestions? Or when they make mistakes that negatively impact your life and workload? How do you do with your attitude in submitting to them? You see, that's what God's called our wives to do to us. And when we start to test our own hearts on how hard it is for us to submit to the authorities in our life, we begin to have some compassion for our wives, and we begin to pray for them in a different way. Not praying, God, just make it this way because I'm tired of, of how hard this is, but God, help her. How hard is that? She has to submit to me, a knucklehead like me. Man, it's time for us to change the way we think about this and the way we encourage and support our wives. And by the way, we lead Make it easy and a delight for them to submit. And then secondly, for you men, I would say, be here next Sunday. <laughs> be here next week. Wives, make it happen. <laughs> if he says he got a cold, he doesn't have a cold. Just get him here. <laughs> but seriously, we pray that these things would define us, that we would really believe God, and that our families would reflect that. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the clarity of your word. It doesn't give us any wiggle room. Sometimes it makes it uncomfortable for us. 
We may try to find a way around it in our flesh, and yet if we just stop and think about who it is that's commanding us to live this way and, and your heart and your perfection and your goodness and how you desire nothing but the best that brings you the most glory and accomplishes the most spiritual good in our lives, we remember that we're foolish to kick against your plans. God, help us to stand strong in a world that is, that is violent towards these ideas that would actually, actually accuse us of being unlike you because we would teach these things. But God, help us to stand firm on the word of God with humility and with grace. And may the gospel shine through every marriage in this room in greater measure. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.